Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast for two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wilson Burns, and my counterpart, Savon Morris, wasn't able to be on this week, but I'm joined by a special guest. We've had him on um, earlier episodes, Josh Crocker, a current college classmate of mine, about to graduate, about to move on to, to bigger and better things, but thanks for being on for this game review, man. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for the invite again. I always enjoy these conversations. Yeah, man, definitely. And um, today we're getting into our, our second game re- memorable game review with uh, Warriors-Cavs Game 7 from the 2016 Finals. And dealing with the overview before we get into the topics, you know, the Warriors entered the series with um, the best regular season record ever in league history, 73-9. And Cleveland's record was 57-25, and catch- capturing the uh, number one seed in the East. And um, they kind of went through a transition because there was that, you know, the game on Martin Luther King Day where the Warriors just like dominated them in the in, in, um at, on the road at Cleveland, um, it was kind of like a 30 point blowout. And then midseason, they fired David Blatt and then brought in Tyron Lue. And they were also the first team in history to, to go to two consecutive NBA finals with um, rookie head coaches. And this was also the consecutive rematch in back to back years um, as the mm-hmm. Spurs and Heat played in 2013 and 2014. And when you look at what the Warriors were doing, they were chasing history, obviously, for the 73 wins, also coming off of a dramatic um, Western Conference finals three to one against OKC and the Cavs were fully healthy with, with um, uh, in the finals with, with Kyrie and Kevin Love because last the, the year before Kyrie, Kevin Love, they both go out, Kevin Love against Boston and then Kyrie in the first game and overtime against right. uh, the Warriors. But like heading into this series, when the, when the Cavs beat the, the Raptors um, in six and the Warriors, you know, they have the dramatic comeback against OKC. What were your initial, initial thoughts on the contrast with the Warriors chasing history and then the Cavs getting another shot at them with, with their other two stars healthy. Like, did you think the Warriors were just the clear favorite in that series or that with them coming off a dramatic series against OKC, it could be right. a little a little bit of fatigue? Yeah, I mean, I think in my mind, I, I would lean towards the Warriors going into the series, just how, yes, I mean, playoffs always, things are much harder, but I mean, they were the best team in the NBA pretty pretty uh, yeah. pretty clearly throughout Easily. the season. They were at the top of their game consistently, and sometimes those tough series just make you better, you know? Um, yeah. And I kind of uh, – and I know you said going into the series, but especially after game one. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, is this even going <laughs> to no be a series? It was, like, it was like, okay, West is so much better than the East, and that was the big conversation, exactly. and that's the big battle that's been going back and forth, I mean, for the past probably 10 years. But – yeah, I mean, I would think in my mind, especially the the Warriors look looked really good. Um, and yes, I mean, a good series before the finals, but still, the in that sense, the East and West didn't really compare. So it was like, yeah. sure, the Warriors had a tough series, but at the same time, they're still going to be the better team. I mean, look at their record, look who they've beaten, and and how mm-hmm. good the OKC team was, and and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely, and. The Warriors, as you as you're talking about, you know, they won the the first game, actually the first two games in convincing fashion, getting off to yeah. a 2-0 start and bringing in the biggest combined uh, margin of victory, 48, through the first two games of the finals. And then Cleveland comes back home, responds with a 30 point win in Game Three, and the Warriors won Game Four by 11. And that was the game where Steph has 38. Then Draymond gets in the altercation with LeBron and is eventually suspended for Game Five. And that that was like a really like pivotal game because. You you look at Game Five where where the where um Cleveland it's a must win situation. LeBron and Kyrie both they go off for forty one combined for eighty two. 
um, and just a yeah. pivotal road game. And when you when you look back at, at game four and game five, and and obviously game seven, you know, it's, it's it's the most important game. Which one do you think maybe had like more of an impact on 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 just kind of how the overall series turned out? Because some people think if Draymond was there for game five, the Warriors would have won five. Right. Um. Yeah, I guess in that sense, it was it will probably be game game four. Um. Yeah. And I. I know they um they didn't win it, but I think that pushed LeBron into that that extra gear that everyone knows he has. And I think he almost went into another gear. Like it was past yeah. playoff and it was like he was fighting for so much more personally. Like yeah, not only for himself, but for the city, bringing that championship back to the Cavs. And it was back against the wall. You're down three one. I mean, at that point as a as a sports team, you have nothing to lose. So it's yeah. it's all out, and so obviously game five is a little tainted. You know, Gr- Draymond it was a very essential piece. If you look at his stats through through game the the seven game series, I mean, he is the quarterback of that team and yeah. uh, doing a lot, not just in stats, but just throughout the games. And so him not being there was big, but I think it started in game four and, and that altercation, and then just okay, that you, you know, LeBron's locker room presence and things like that and just pushing them through. And then obviously, I mean, I, you could you could say it's a game four and five combination and just seeing yeah. the power of Kyrie and LeBron at full force. <laughs> that was crazy. It, you know, that the media gets pumped up behind it and, and LeBron and Kyrie have their whole team support, obviously, after something like that. It's easy yeah. to follow those guys when they put – the stats, I mean, when, when they go out and produce and are doing exactly what they're trying to get everyone else to do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and when you look at game six, um, it, w- it was just all Cavs. They were up by 20 at the end of the first. LeBron at 41. Mm-hmm. They won by 14. Um, and, and, and that was just a, a dominant performance. You know, Steph gets uh, gets thrown out of the game uh, with, with, a, with, a te- with a technical at the end, uh, throwing his mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. And it, was just, it was just like a crazy, like, into the game because it just seemed right. as though like the like momentum kind of the series kind of turned and um dealing uh, heading into our first topic what made this game so significant and memorable um you know obviously with with the legacy of what the Warriors are trying to accomplish completing the greatest season ever in NBA history like that was on the line and this was this game seven had 20 lead changes 11 ties with just you know everything um um yeah with everything just coming together just a dramatic final championship game and the Warriors, you know, they were the best half-court offense we had seen in years and didn't score for the last four minutes, 39 seconds of the game. If anybody had said that would have happened a couple months ago, like, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't even seem imaginable because they were just such an efficient right. offense, always being able to score. And LeBron has the epic block on Iguodala. Kyrie has the go-ahead three mm-hmm. over Curry to give them a um, three-point lead. And, and, and the thing that doesn't get noted enough is Kevin Love's stop on, on Curry. When he when yeah. Curry's just uh-huh. trying to yeah when he's trying to force the contested three pointer I mean that was a huge stop because if anybody's left on an island a big with Curry it just it, it's it's game over like Curry's going to automatically yeah. score score and, and that didn't uh, and that didn't happen um, but the Cavs being just the first team to complete a three one um, a, a three one deficit that was huge as well and the words coming up short um, but what made this game so significant and memorable to you like kind of when you look back at it and everything that transpired especially in those last five minutes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that that play that you highlighted on of Kevin Love, I actually I watched that earlier, just going over some stuff, and like, it's just remarkable how good a defense of set he played right there. And I was yeah. actually reading something. They said that 
Um, it was, you know, quote, his best, the best defensive play of his career. And it was just like, that's what that game seven was. There was so much to it. It was maybe the best sports game, you know, that had happened in so such a long period of time. And mm. the significance of it was not, was a factor of things. First off was they got beat the year before, you know, so yeah. this, this is a rematch. And then also just LeBron's legacy in the sense of that he was fighting for so much more than just one game. It was, and then it was so much more than that to him and that transition that happened in game four, game five. Um, yeah, I think it was the mega team, 73 wins. This is the Warriors. They're the best team ever kind of deal. And it was LeBron fighting against that. And the fact that, you know, he was able to overcome that and looking Mm -hmm. back that that's just so enormous for his argument of being the best, I think. Definitely. And, and um, the, the, the block and, and Kyrie shot, I mean, those are just two amazing moments. Cause when you listen to the sound right. bite of the block, like <laughs> the, the announcers, they're just stunned. Jeff Van Gundy's just like, Oh my goodness. Like it just, it just it only gave three <laughs> words. Cause it just was one of those plays. Like everybody was just stunned that it happened and how fast it happened. Right. Like when, when that, when that play happened, did you feel as though, okay, the, the, the Cavs have the edge because it just seemed as though it was one of those games where, where LeBron LeBron in a game seven is just like automatic. He's just right. a, a dominant force, turns it to another level. Did you feel as though it was just one of those plays and moments where he was like, I'm just not going to let us lose this game? Yeah, I think, and honestly, this is it's a little easy to say in hindsight because yeah. it's right now, but I think even going into that game, as you mentioned previously, when, when Steph threw the mouthpiece and the ending to Game 6, I think going into that Game 7, it was it was almost expected that the Cavs would kind of pull through in this like great storyline. And, and yeah. just because of the, the feel of the series. You know, it's hard to embody that now, but watching it live and, and watching the games and stuff like that, you, you got the sense that this was the fitting ending to the storyline. So even through all of Game 7, yes, while... Well, things went back and forth. Um, LeBron was, you know, there, there was that sense, like you said, of I am not losing this game. And <laughs> exactly. you could see that throughout the game and that block, exactly like you said. I mean, when that happened, it was like, yeah, there's not a chance. This guy is going to be anywhere the ball is, uh, yeah. for, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, he's not letting that happen. And that was, yeah, that was a pivotal moment in just closing out that game for sure. Definitely. And, um, and, and, and with Kyrie and, and the shot, it, it was one of those things where, you know, if Clay's guarding him, um, that was the matchup the Cavs didn't want. And, and, and obviously getting Curry on him is, was, was just the pivotal moment. Dealing with a play like that and, and Kyrie, he, he's had so many moments where he, where he can just hit the big shots and, and clutch moments. And him as the number two player, like when you look back at this, like this from, from what he had with the Celtics and even, um, the shorter season with Brooklyn, they were just, it was just a different type of feel because he, he was the number one option and him as the number one option is, is, is not the ideal thing. But but looking back at it, it seemed as one of those things where him as the number two, where he can just like, hey, he doesn't have to have all the pressure. But in a, in a moment like that, where it's just given to him, it seemed as though he was just so comfortable in that role. And there was just no there was no pressure. And, and he was just like he had the mama mentality, like he said, like he, he faced, yeah. him, you know, the, the late Kobe Bryant and he just had that that mentality like. I'm completely comfortable in this moment. And this is just the time where I can take advantage of, of, a, of not like uh, uh, not as good of a defender. Cause I, I believe Steph is a good team defender, but he's not an elite defender. And that just seemed as though a pivotal 
just right. clear a moment for Kyrie to take over. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, because like you said, it's not that Steph isn't a good defender. I just, uh, I mean, watching that play, Steph played good defense, but it comes down to just pure physical size, and he doesn't have the he doesn't have the length to be able to be that threat to block that because Kyrie can get space on anyone. I mean, we've seen throughout how he plays, yeah. like he's gonna get a shot off. Um, yeah, and I think it says a lot about that team that there wasn't a hesitation for Kyrie being. Like, he was okay with number two. Everyone knew that's LeBron's team, but there was full confidence taking that shot. You know, there was there was a shared responsibility there from LeBron and Kyrie, and that made that team so deadly. Um, but, yeah, he Definitely. that shot was uh, was uh, amazing. Yeah, and uh, transitioning to our second um, topic with whose performance were you most impressed by? And, you know, LeBron, he had 27 points. 11 assists and 11 rebounds. Draymond had 32 points, 15 rebounds, nine assists. Kyrie had 26. Kevin Love had uh, added 14 rebounds. Um, Steph and Clay combined for only 31. I think that was like one of the biggest um, reasons yeah. for why the Warriors lost this game. Not saying it was the only reason because like Steph, I mean, uh, uh, Kyrie and LeBron were, were, were phenomenal. But when the Splash Brothers are not having an extremely good shooting performance, it, it usually does result in a loss. And right. if the Warriors hadn't um, lost this game, the performance that Draymond had was just like, he, he was completely ready for this moment. It was almost like a redemption for game five where he had 32 points, 15 rebounds, and just was like, every time the Cavs left him open for a three, like he would knock it down in the first half and, and was really on his P's and Q's. Um, right. But to me, in terms of who I was most impressed by, like I, I would still give it to LeBron because the master performance yeah. he had, just delivering elite performances in game sevens and, and having a triple-double on a game in a game seven, only the only other players to do that were Jerry West and uh, James Worthy, and him averaging twenty nine eight assists and eleven rebounds, and and, and added on to the block we we're talking about, the one of the greatest blocks in NBA history, um, right. which is kind of like the crowning moment of his career. But whose performance uh, were you kind of uh, impressed by the most? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be cliche, but I don't know how you can't give it to LeBron in that situation. Yeah. I mean, he led both teams in points, rebounds, assists steals and blocks yeah i mean what can you ask from from like there's nothing else you know what i mean like you can say okay maybe his percentage could have been a little better here or there but at the end of the day he led everyone in everything that that wins i mean that won the series you know and i think like you said if you're gonna spot because that's pretty well known that you know lebron that that was his series that was his highlight moment that that's it he might have more, but for right now, that's the thing. That series, that comeback, leading the team like that, bringing the shit back to, back to the Cavs, um, and back to Cleveland. But if you're gonna give it to someone else or or go to the other side, yeah, I mean Draymond, I think you have to. Um, in recent light, I think he's been a little, uh, a little underappreciated maybe in his role because yeah, he he's been he's taken on this role of having to be the team and that's not his play style. And people are, people are trying to rate him on that, on being the best player on the team when he's, a, he's amazing in his element with the splash brothers. And mm-hmm. he showed that throughout this series. I mean, he did everything. He was doing rebounds, blocks, hustle plays, scoring assists, knocking down threes, which isn't even really his specialty, but he stepped up to the plate um, when Steph and clay did not play well. And so, yeah, I think if you're yeah. going to highlight someone's play besides LeBron, because he's clearly, I mean, he won the MVP for the finals. He's clearly that. 
I think you would give it to Draymond and just how he fought through. You know, he never gave up on his team. I mean, and you can say the the one mark against him would be his getting suspended through in that game, but yeah. I mean, that almost just displays his emotion and how much he wanted that. And I think some of the other players on the Warriors could have used that, and I mean, a little bit at least. Um, and Draymond definitely I mean, can he's get the ahead emotion. of but yeah, he's the exactly. emotion driver for the team. Like, like they don't have 100%. an edge without him. Like, if, if the if he wasn't on that team, they there really wouldn't be an edge. I'm not saying that they wouldn't still be a competent team because they're they right. have the best shooting backboard ever, ever, and the greatest shooter ever. But it's just almost as though they're it's that missing link, and he gives them that yeah. edge. So, so in a tough series against an OKC, he's able to bounce back, or against a series against the Spurs, he's able they're able to bounce back because they kind of have that type of edge and that, you know, defensive just juggernaut that he's always been. Yeah, it's good to have a guy like that. I mean, he definitely puts you at um, risk at times, but overall, I mean, they're extremely successful team, and most of that, a lot of that can be attributed to him. I mean, coming from my angle of being a, a Celtics fan, I mean, that's the Marcus Smart, you know, like, sure, yeah, he might not always do everything great, but he he's that heart and soul of the team. Exactly. The, yeah. the stuff that doesn't go in the stat sheet. That scene, and uh, if you're watching the games and you're keeping up with it, you know that. And I think uh, Draymond definitely deserves to be highlighted throughout this that that series, but even Game Seven especially. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their twenties giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wendy Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. And we're getting into our Ocean's Eleven movie review. It was uh, it was one you know we we're supposed to get into a, a few weeks ago, but had some technical difficulties. And and Savon, it's, it's just a film that whenever it's on, like the trilogy was on AMC last week. Whenever it's on, I just I just have to watch it. How's it going, man? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's one of my favorites because it has a star star cast. Star in there, cast. Yeah, man, I'm excited because it's like I grew up on this movie. My dad loves like the series, so like I grew up on this movie. This is gonna be this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be real fun. Definitely. And uh, to start it off with the overview, um, Ocean's Eleven was a 2001 American film directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Ted Griffin. Um, it's the first installment of the Ocean's franchise in the remake of the 1960 uh, Rat Pack film. And the cast includes um, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, uh, Matt Damon, Don Cheetah, Andy Garcia, Bernie Mac, and Julie Roberts. Um, it's about Danny Ocean and Rusty Ryan who plan a heist of $150 million from um, of, of, of a one hundred um, of casino owner. Terry Benedict, the lover of Ocean's Wife, Tess, played by Julie Roberts. Um, it had an 82% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, um, had a budget of $85 million and made $550.7 million in the box office. And um, for one of the interviews, George Clooney said, quote, the guys were the coolest um, in reference to Frank and Sammy and, Sammy and Dean uh, with, the, with the Rat Pack film in the, in the 1960s. And he said, nobody touches them and we won't ever be that cool but we have a lot better of a script and we have a really great story and a great director and incredible cast end quote. And that interview was from Hollywood archive. And before we get to the topics, you know, that film in the 1960s, um, obviously a film that started off the franchise. And when you have, you know, Steven Soderbergh uh, bringing this back with a different cast, a star studded cast that we're talking about from the beginning, um, it, it, it can be, you know, uh, filled with pressure and, and different and different types of, uh, just skepticism in terms of how they're going to continue this type of franchise that's, you know, that hasn't been um, going on for, for many years. Um, what are your thoughts on, on them 
bringing back a cast like this. Because if you had to, if you were going to do a film that came off from the Rat Pack, you had to have a star-studded cast. Right. And it's just one of those films that just kind of fit perfectly with the with the cast um, in it. Most definitely. If you're going to... You're gonna try to like revamp like what comes to mind is like the office, like the one they did in yeah. UK, and then they brought it to America, and you it had to be good. And we didn't know realize how good it was. That's Ocean's Eleven. And I know yeah. that, you know, bringing that back in, you have to have guys like Bernie Mac, Don Cheadle, Brad Pitt, like George Clooney. Like this, this is so many great actors in one setting. Like, I don't understand how they did this. But it, mm-hmm. I mean, you had to, to, to do justice to a film that really like highlighted the sixties and like, you know, from the Rat Pack, you had to bring in people like this. So for them to like bring it together and have a incredible, incredible writers in um, George Clayton Johnson, which one that pops in my head for, cause I, I watched his interviews like a couple weeks ago that he's mm-hmm. still right. He's still a part of a uh, big time films that nobody really knows he's a part of, but when you have writers like that and a director in Sunderberg, like it and bring actors like this together, it had to do justice to something that's very like beneficial and vital to the the film heads. I mean, it's yeah. I mean it's an incredible experience. Yeah, absolutely. And um starting off with um or with our first topic from one to four stars, uh, what would you give it? You know, obviously like like, like there, there's a different level of of variance with the with the second movie and the third film. And some have, and some feel feel as though the, the second film was underrated, and 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 others really like the third film. But but dealing with this with this first film um, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Four, hands down, hands yeah. down, a four from the from the storyline to the actors to the writers to the director, like everything moved in jail. Well, it's hard to bring that many stud stud started actors like that in one movie, and no one gets over act out. Everybody gelled together. Everybody moved as one. Like even like the most like in not inexperienced, but characters, you was like, ah, he played a good role, but it wasn't like big, but everybody gelled together well. And then Julia Roberts, man. man. I love Julia Roberts. She's she's Killed amazing. It. She's amazing. So four stars, hands down. This is a great film. I whoever likes second and third one over this one is crazy. Number yeah. one is the best one. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the second and third film, like I feel like they were good films, but they didn't really supplant what the first one did. The first one, it's it's smooth, it's crisp, it moves so quickly, yes. like it goes by so fast, and, and like you you have to like really just just comprehend everything that happened because it was just how they did it was just extremely efficient and quick. Right, and it was subtle. Like you you can like predict. Well, I could at the time. Well, even if I watch it now, like I'll be like, yo, I'll follow, I'll find something, excuse me. I'll find something that was in that movie that I didn't recognize when I watched it like a billion zillion times with my family and by myself. Yeah. I was like, yo, that's really that's crazy. Like I didn't even notice that. Like so yeah. it's like subtle, but it's like I mean it's it's a great it's great. I don't I don't understand people talking about the second and third one. They're fine. <laughs> they were good. But this one really kind of like pushed them to like all right, now we can do the second one. Now we can do the third one. The first one is always like the. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to to, to kick it off and and have and have the type of uh, um just introduction that that they had with this franchise um in two thousand one. But yeah, I mean, to me, like it was a very you know witty film, really cool and stylish. Um, added with the star studded cast that was just perfect for it, and just the suspense stakes and and conflict that were part of the structure of the film. Uh, worked really well, and in a way, it's be, kind of become the epitome of what a 
a market marketable heist movie should look like. Is there any other heist movie that when you look uh, when you look at Ocean's Eleven, you're like, can I can can I compare this? Like, is it is there another like superior heist film that you just feel like maybe did did something better than Ocean's Eleven did? Oh, uh, as soon as you said that, I, I thought of one, but it really mm-hmm. like. Uh, Oh, I know it's tough because it, there, there's so many you can pick from. <laughs> the one with uh, Keita Reeves comes to mind. I know it's like about surfers, but it's like you didn't yeah. really. Oh, what's that movie called? Is it Point? Is it um Point Break? Point Break. I think yeah. it was Point Break. That's one. Um, jeez, man, it's so many out there. I'll just that one that kind of like you know reminds me of it. Not like. And it's moving parts, but like friends coming together, they're really surfers. They're trying to fund their surfing adventures, but they're really <laughs> strategic in robbing yeah. banks. Like they make yeah. like it's not as you know flamboyant as Ocean's Eleven, but it, I think it has that that stature. Like if you think of Point Break or you think of Ocean's Eleven, like crime movies, they're they're up there together. No one is bigger than the other one. But it's so many more, man. I wish I had a list. When we put this on Instagram, I'm gonna send you a list of like the the movies that I feel like are up yeah. there with Ocean's Eleven. I'll send it to send it to me. Definitely, yeah. And um, and transitioning to, to our, our second topic with favorite character, um, to me it was Rusty because Brad Pitt. He's always just the coolest guy um, <laughs> right. in the room, you know. He, he, and and for this film, you know, Rusty was the coolest guy in the crew. I'm um, just a jack of all trades. Um, impersonated a doctor near near the latter end, end of the film, and um help plan the, the entire heist and always, and has every detail in perfect order. Um, but, but, but uh, to me, like I, I would go overall with, in, in this film um, with, with Brad Pitt overall, in terms of the characters that were kind of your favorite, uh, right. who would you kind of give the, the top notch to? Frank Cotton, AKA Birdie Max, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> we have a scene that we're going to talk about. Soon. Right. I don't want to like give away. It's like, you must <laughs> Man, I tried all kind of lotions. <laughs> <laughs> man, I love his character. Like anything with Bernie Mac in it, like I'm going. I know I'm going to laugh. I know it's no. I know it's going to be funny. But like he was I mean, my favorite. He character. also had oceans. He also had the Ocean's Thirteen line with with Al Pacino. And he's like, "Let it show, let it show." Mr. Banks, you don't need no let it show. You just need to feel it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fact that you know that verbatim. That's like that's the biggest. That's that's dope. That's verbatim dope. Man, yeah, I have to go with Bernie Mac's character. Even though he was funny, like I feel like he played like a, a big a big role in like all the heists. Like he was, I think in Ocean's Eleven, he was the um the car teller from the blackjack dealer. The blackjack dealer, yeah, yeah. So it was like that was like super funny. Like, man, Don Cheadle is another. I like his character too. Yeah. But I also like Matt Damien's character. Yeah. But my favorite has to be Bernie Mac's Frank uh it was a Frank Kent Cotton Kent is what an A is weird. Yeah, Frank Frank Kent. Yeah, Kent. Yeah. In, in terms of underrated characters that 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 you you feel as though maybe like didn't 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 get it as a probably maybe enough shine as some of like the ones like Matt Damon, um, uh, George Clooney, and Brad Pitt, or, or even Bernie Mac. Was, was there a character that kind of maybe wasn't in, in as a as most scenes as them, but skill you felt as though gave a, a solid performance? I forgot his name, the Asian gentleman who had to crawl through. Oh, yeah. The, if he didn't do that, this whole entire scheme yeah. would have It, would, been it wouldn't, go, wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. I forgot his name. Like, I'm trying to pull up the characters, but um, yeah, I don't see it. Like, the, the, they're so small. The words are so small. But no, he, his character, if this, like, 
it was the most important scheme. Like everything, you know, fake everything, whatever. George Clooney getting beat mm-hmm. up in the getting beat up in the room by the guy who they paid or whatever. But if that the Asian gentleman, I, I want to know his name. When you, I'll look for it. If he didn't crawl into the vent pipes and into the like, the other stuff, like yo, this would never happen. There's no Ocean's Eleven. There's no Ocean's, no Ocean's Eleven. 11. <laughs> no Ocean's Eleven. Definitely. And interesting to our, our most memorable scene. Um, one of the first ones, the introductory poker scene, and that's when Rusty he tries to um, show the group um, how to play poker, but it keeps getting um, keeps getting derailed by them just not taking it very seriously and kind of being inept at it. And then Danny appears, and, and him and Rusty run a, a minor con on the group, and it just set the vibe for the film and, and established the, the kind of the brotherly dynamic between Danny and Rusty, who were just veteran criminals and, and were great at schemes. Um, it, dealing with that scene and just you know. Danny and Rusty and Brad Pitt and George Clooney's chemistry, what what kind of impressed you the most about their chemistry? Because it just seemed as though even for this first film and through all throughout all of the films, their chemistry was just top notch. And it just seemed as though like they really fit as the top two as the top two of, of the high school. Right. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Well, a lot of people don't like peanut butter and jelly. I, I guess cereal I like and peanut milk. Jelly. Yeah. It was like the best combination because they they're one was kind of like understanding and the other one was like, yo, y'all need to get it together. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, it was like the perfect balance of the characters and like them as like individual outside of this character making it jail so fast and so quick and making it seem like they've been like friends forever, which is, bro, mm-hmm. it seems so hard. Way. It's so hard to do that on camera, to have that chemistry on camera because a lot of actors don't even like each other. So the yeah. fact that they did that, man, it was extremely dope and it played into the, 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 like the, I guess the the flow of the, the movie because now like mm-hmm. when I first watched this movie, those two characters stood out the most. Like everybody was laughing, whatever, whatever. But okay, those are the leaders, right? Yeah. Those it was are the clear guys. cut. It was clear, clear cut. cut. Those yeah. were front runners. Like even when I was younger, like it's two thousand one. I'm probably like seven, eight, maybe. I don't know. Probably older than that. I'm not sure. I'll, I'm not good with math. Whatever. <laughs> but like <laughs> knowing that I was like, okay, those are the two leaders. Everybody else is just like you know people they brought along. But these are the guy who's are coming up with the plans, the, the in and outs, thinking of every concept, every scenario, knowing the man. That stood out the most in the chemistry, bro. Like, it's so yeah. hard to fit that on the screen. And sometimes you can see, like, the like the staleness of, like, the the like the flow of the characters. Like, but they did an mm-hmm. excellent job. I don't want to go too far, but they did an excellent job. Yeah, and, and, and real quick, who do you think was the best villain of, villain of the Oceans trilogy? I mean, you had Terry Benedict, then you had, you know, Banks at the end. You have the the, um, the French guy in Oceans 12. Like, was there a certain villain that you kind of felt was, like, the perfect one in this? I mean, they're all villains because they're all <laughs> doing something illegal. But but was there a certain one, like, in the trilogy that kind of st- uh, stuck out to you the most? Oh, I almost called his name. I'll, his name is not Ruben Tishkoff. Oh, my gosh. Um do you remember his name? Was it not a superior not a bartender, Rusty Ryan? What's the guy's name? He in the first one, him. He found out Turbinidic? about it. Like, yeah, Turbinidic. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Andy Garcia. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you. Andy Garcia. You know how I know his name? Because of a football player that used to play with the San Francisco 49. That's how I remember his name. <laughs> if that fun fact. But him because like Sports he's and pop smart. culture always align. <laughs> exactly. But now he he understood like the schemes. He didn't get it like the first hand, but he mm-hmm. intercepted them. And then that's what they did the job for him in the second one, if I'm not mistaken. In the third one, yeah. Last one. I thought it was the second one they did the job for him. Was he? Yeah. 
I actually think it was the second one, yeah, Ocean 12. Yeah, Ocean 12, yeah. Yeah, because it kind of trickled over to Ocean 12 because they found out, and then he was like, I don't want my money back or something like that, or you got to make my money back, so you're going to do this yeah. job. Yeah, got to get it at a certain time. Yeah, so he was the best villain. Like, nobody else caught on but him. Absolutely. He was like, that's what I loved about it. He was like, okay, they got away, but they really didn't get away. That's the best thing about Ocean's 11. Like, you have that crescendo, but then you have that downslope, like, hey, I caught you. Now you got to do a job for me. Like, that, like this, how can you say the first one is not better than the other two? Like, that's crazy. It's, it's I don't clear understand. cut. Come on. Clear <laughs> cut. Like, the guy, they got away, but they did get away because they had to do a job for the guy they stole for. Stole from, yeah. sorry. But, yeah, yeah, he's the best villain ever. Definitely. And and, and, and another quote, um, or I mean, uh, w- w- with with another scene, the, the second scene that I have listed, Ruben's explanation of, of the failed, you know, casino robbery attempts and, and trying to keep um, Danny and Rusty from from trying to to rob the Las Vegas casino, and, and he was like, "The the flamingo in seventy one. This guy actually tasted fre- fresh ox- oxygen." Lol. And and, and and it was it was just, it was just like one of those things where like um, both of them were just kind of like, okay, he's he's not gonna like he's not gonna sign off on this. But once he found out it was Kerry Benedict, then he was in and, and he kind of like signed off on it. And was was willing to like um, partner up with them, um, recruiting Linus, uh, uh, Basher, and Saul. Like all, all three of those, when they recruited those guys, I really thought those were, were really good scenes. Um, planning the heist when Danny had had the whole crew together and explained to them um, how he planned to pull it off, and uh, discusses the the six digit code that's changed that, that's changed every twelve hours in the elevator shaft that, that's rigged. And then Saul says, "Say we do all that, we're just supposed to walk out there with one hundred fifty million of cash on us without getting stopped." <laughs> and George Clooney was like, "Yeah, yeah, we are." And everybody's like, "Okay, okay, cool." <laughs> and nobody, then, um, yeah, nobody. That, that was the thing. That whole scene, everybody was so quiet. And then Saul's like, "The only one is like, hey, this this is kind of off, right?" Like that. That's the crazy part. Like we know who he is, so we don't care what happens. We're we're in, hundred percent. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then um, Basher shutting down Las Vegas. Basher, he had to look like I really don't want to do this, but I have to do that. I know there's a fight going on. But it's just something I have to do, and, and that and that whole scene was just crazy. Like like they had the fight with Lennox Lewis, and everybody's just just going uh, crazy afterwards. Um, Tess and Danny at, at dinner um, when, when Tess, you know, um, they're 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 going back and forth, and, um, and 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 then Terry comes up, and, and it's just just one of those things where Danny's that that was one of the things with Rusty. Rusty was like, "Do you have an ulterior motive?" And that was one of the most pivotal scenes because. He was like, "There's no way you're just in this just to be in it." And it, it seemed as though if that wasn't if that wasn't in the film, that extra that love interest, it seemed as though it wouldn't be maybe even as as complete of a film. Right. And how good is it to get one of the one of the best heavy heavyweight fighters in a movie, in Lennox Lewis? Goodness. That's crazy. They they got how they pulled off everything in this film. Yes, they pull out all the stops. You have to. They put out all the stops from this cast, yeah. like even like the supporting cast. Like <laughs> it's crazy how many people <laughs> great people. Sean um Khan, Ken, Khan, I think his name is Khan. He's played in a lot of like low budget movies. You do remember mm-hmm. the movie with Will Smith as um mm, not bad company when he was uh somebody put something in his jacket that was uh political. He played one oh, of yeah, the, yeah. the FBI agents. Then you play it in Ready Rumble. Enemy, like, is Enemy of the State? Enemy, enemy of the, of the state. state, yes. Yeah. Gene Hackman. We need to do one of those too. That yeah, was a great, film. That one. great film. Great film. But yeah, he's played in a lot of like low budget films, but he's actually a good actor. He's a really good actor. In, in Ocean's Eleven, I think he was dope too. Like from the supporting cast to the guys that you never like look twice about, like 
the cast is dope. I, yeah, I want to reiterate that the cast is dope. The cast is so good. It's golden. True yeah. enough. It, it, it's, just, it's just an, an amazing, amazing cast. The, the, and, and the last last thing I have to get to, Linus interrogating Frank, uh, Frank um, and he's just going going through <laughs> his criminal history being brought up. And Bernie Mac just goes off. You know, it, it's called, you might as well call it White Jack scene. He's like, want me to get on the table and dance? Shine your shoes? Smile at you? Sure, let me deal the cards. Might as well call it White Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Damon was like, "Whoa, I did not expect this at all. I, I, I this was something I was not uh, prepared for at all. It, to me, it was just like the funniest scene of the film. Um, overall, w- w- with all the scenes and maybe an extra one, uh, what would you give it to? Oh man, I think it was the scene where they were explaining the heist, and he was like, "Would you yeah. see, like?" You think we're supposed to work out of here with all that money? It's like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> like, yeah. that's how you know how the, how good they are and how vital and they are. So, he was such are. a calm figure in that moment. Yeah. He was like, of course, we're going to pull this off. Like, when you have that calm, it's like a head coach. Like, when a head coach is like, yo, we're going to yeah. win. You give that, that speech. You're like, okay, well, let's go do it. Let's go. We might lose. We might win. I don't care. Wherever the outcome is, I'm in. 100%. That's Definitely. that leadership. Yeah, leadership. But that 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 scene kind of summed up the entire movie. It t- yeah. in, in my eyes, absolutely. Because that that the whole construction of it, they're trying to like size them up and be like, hey, if you're in, are you in or you out? Like, if you're if you're not going to be, if if you're not really ready to be a part of something like this high leverage and illegal, you know, you can just walk out. And everybody there was just other than Saul didn't question it, and they were just they were just ready to ready to join up. Right, that's man. Yeah. That's so funny because I would have like no, nah, nah. Really? Is is it logical? <laughs> yeah, it's not logical at all. And the numbers change every what, hour. Six numbers change every hour. Like no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We're getting into the second half of this movie review, and to start it off with the um, most memorable quotes. Um, I had had had, a, had several, and one one of them was from Tess. Said, "Quote Terry, you of all people should know in your hotel, there's always someone someone watching." End quote. Um, Saul, you expect us to just walk out the casino with millions of dollars on us? Um, another one from Saul. Um, oh, and another one from Danny and Tess. Um, Danny asking, "Does he make you laugh?" Tess. Then Tess says, "He doesn't make me cry." Um, Basher, it will be nice working with proper villains again. Um, out out of all the quotes and the memorable quotes. Uh, what 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 one was kind of like at the top for you? You know, I didn't have a a memorable quote. I had like my funniest quotes to me. Yeah, I guess they were memorable, like the the conversation between uh, both Mallory's the brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mini car race. Right. Let me uh, move my microphone. Like it was just like uh, Turk was like, um, what he said. Watch it, bud. Who you call it, bud, pal? Who you call a pal, friend? <laughs> Who you call a friend, Jack A? Don't call me Jack A. <laughs> Don't dare you, Jack A. Yo, they were going off. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that, the Malloy that brothers right for the win. There. The Malloy Bro, brothers are the true MVP of Ocean's Alive. <laughs> if that really did sum up my childhood. <laughs> I haven't seen brothers, man. Those are like frequent conversations. <laughs> Like, man, that was, like, crazy. And then the conversation Bernie Mac had with him, he was like, you moisturized? <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to use a lot of love. 
Oh my goodness. He was like, uh, excuse me. He was like, man, I was trying to use a lot of that that whole scene, that that quote there, that was crazy. Like I like yeah. the, all the serious quotes, but like I'm I'm like funny. I like funny, funny stuff. Yeah. So like those quotes right there, man, they get me every time, especially that conversation. Who you call it, Bud? <laughs> <laughs> And, and and that and that was and that was that was kind of one of the things Steven Soderbergh tried to do try to mix in the humor with it and not just having you know serious um, memorable quotes. Um, in, in terms of that element, balancing the humor with the, with the like the serious nature of what they were doing with the heist, do you think that that, that kind of had to be a necessary element to it? Because so many times we have movies that are just straight laced. This kind of had like the variance of humor and the serious elements when it was necessary. Most definitely, I think that's like the, the, the a good combination. When you have, yeah. you don't have to have the best actors in a movie, but if you have humor and you have action gel together, it's, I mean, people are going to watch it. And then when you have this many great actors and actresses in the movie, and then you have comedy, then action, then great acting on top of that, like it's a, it's a dope situation. Now, I feel like that's why um, the Marvel films are so, are so great. Like Avengers was yeah. super funny. Like it had its moments was like, I was like knee slapper. But it also had that action and that that fantasy about it. That's why I think Marvel is such a, a great uh, uh, series or whatever. But for Ocean's Eleven, having Bernie Mac and Don Cheadle is a low key funny type of person who's a part yeah. of the Marvel Marvel uh, cinema. So like, I think it's the perfect combination for a movie. If you want your movie to be good or people to watch it, you have to have comedy. Don't ha- don't overdo it. See, Ocean Ocean's Eleven right. did it perfectly. They never overdid. They, had, they never overdid it. Exactly. So I think it was the perfect combination. It, it it makes a good movie. It makes it you entertain. You're always engaged. Because if you have a plot that's like a twist plot, and then you have comedy, then you have action. I'm like, yo, I'm glued to the screen. Yeah. I'm not. I'm never going to like like ah. Oh, this part was like blah. Like okay, I'm not as engaged anymore until I see a fight scene or something. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah they definitely. have the perfect combination. Yeah, and transitioning to our to our, our fourth topic, favorite part about the storyline. Um, to me, you know, the 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 part I like the most uh, of the storyline is just you know it's a fast paced film that doesn't lose its identity from start to finish. Um, it, it keeps it from it keeps its identity from for, for the whole you know length of the film, and and it's meant to have satisfying twists and elaborate plan that keeps you um on the edge of your seat as you're really just intrigued just just to see how they're going to pull this off. And the whole film it's just pieced together like a puzzle, and you know all the intriguing clues keep you hooked. Um, with all the parts of the storyline, um, what was kind of your favorite part that, that, that came, that came with it as there were so many twists, um, in, in, in different parts of the film? I, I like the, the ending that the, the buildup to the climax, to the crescendo, that understanding mm-hmm. that sometimes the, the, the bad guy or the good guy, whatever your perspective, your line, you're on doesn't always get away and it's not always like this rainbow drive away scene or whatever when they rob a bank or something no you get caught and you get hold accountable yeah. in this in this instance they didn't go to jail they had to do a favor they stole all this money from 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 uh Andy Garcia and now you got to do me a favor. Do favor for him yeah so that's why I, lo- I was like okay oh they got away all right but no oh he knows where Julia Roberts going oh Oh, oh, is that what you want to do? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the kid on. But no, like that was the part I was like, oh crap, they're about to get caught. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, like, yeah. that was like, I love all like the, 
but the realistic nature, the, the realistic yes. nature of it, like like Steven Soderbergh, he, he didn't want you to have an ending that was just not like uh, something that that wasn't going to actually be realistic and, and actually happen. This was something that, you know, if you get caught, you're going to have to, you know, be, be accountable for the consequences. And, and that's what that's what happened to Danny Ocean at the end. Most definitely. And I, I love how everybody was like in on it, but only one person like really got the fire from it. He, he took the he took he took all of it. The rest I of them mean, just went their separate ways. <laughs> right, exactly into the and into the next uh, heist. But I love I love yeah. that aspect of it. Like the plot. Did you like the plot twist? Like I didn't know Big Guy was in on it at first. Me either. Yeah, that I one caught my heart. <laughs> he was just Goodness. throwing himself in the. He wasn't round doing anything. <laughs> and the guys didn't even check to see like, hey, is he actually beating up Danny or not? Like, like what's actually going on? <laughs> I was thinking as a kid, like, why is he beating himself up? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This Man. movie is like, I know it's supposed to be serious, but it's really comical to me. Like, so many comic movies. Oh, so many oh comic moments. God, yeah, it is. But like, the I love how the, the crescendo came with that that down slope. And like, okay, now you're in deep doo-doo. You're in deep doo-doo now. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, it had that, it had everything you wanted in a movie. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, for the, the last topic, 10 years from now, is it still watchable and intriguing? Um, it, you know, it, it definitely is. This film relies on their characters to a high degree. Um, they don't disappoint in the characters are just what makes the, the you know, re- recruiting montage amazing when they gather at the Bellagio Fountain before going away one by one. Just just a, another also another memorable scene. Um, yeah, that that was a really golden scene. Um, 10 years from now, it it just seems as as one of those films that the franchise, the trilogy, even though for all those people out there who think Ocean's 12 or Ocean's 13 is better. I don't know why. We we don't understand. (laughs) But but it it, it definitely is one of those films. It just stands the test of time. And I think that's really what Soderbergh accomplished with it. Yeah, man. I think it has been, what, 20 years now? 2001? Yeah, it's been 20 years, I think. So... It has been a test of time already. It's, it's double that. I mean, it's a it's a film where you have everything in one. I think it was Marvel before Marvel was Marvel in my see because yeah. it had incorporated everything you want. Like if you love to see, it's just a good, great franchise, right? And if you love to see like the bad guy get caught in the end, you got that. If you love to see the good guy get the money, you got that. If you wanted you humor, it. you got that. If you wanted a storyline that was a plot twist. You got that. You wanted great actors. Yeah. I'm gonna keep the list going on until you stop me, Wellington. You got that. <laughs> you got you want that. A good, you want a good villain. You got that. Like it, you it got like, it. You got it. Terry Benedict. You got it. Like so, man. It had everything. I still watch it. My dad like has it on deep. Like no, VH1. VH1. He's trying to find <laughs> the disc. Like Throwback. my dad, he calls it his vault. Which is a dresser full of like DVDs and like VH1 tapes, like he's calling his vault. But now he still has that movie. He used to watch that over and over all the time. So that's why I come to love it because of my dad. But this movie here, like, it incorporated everything you wanted in the movie, hands down. Definitely. Yes, definitely. The answer to and, the question and, and, is yes. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. definitely. And, and and Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen. Out of um, obviously this is the best film. What was the next one that that you feel as though was also a really good one in in the in the um, three list? I think thirteen was really good, and yeah. I might I might have mixed them up. I think it's when the guy, if I'm not mistaken, I watched Pacino. it the other day. What's that? The one with Al Pacino. 
Yes, I think it's the one. No, they were stealing a egg or not a. Um, oh, okay, that's the second one then. If you're, if you're the thinking of them, when the yeah. guy was practicing dancing, when everybody got called. Yeah. And then, okay, that's the second one. Okay, the second one then, not the third one. The second one. It's really the third one is when they were building. When Julia Roberts acts like Julia Roberts and they get caught. <laughs> right, yeah, which is so funny. And then it had uh, Bruce, <laughs> that Bruce Willis. Willis and Catherine Zeta. Yeah, okay. That's the second one. Okay. Yeah, I watched the second one the other day with a couple of my friends. I, I was getting the 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 second one and third one mixed up, but the second one was really really good because I didn't know the well. You kind of well, no, I didn't know the the lady who was over the art. Was in on it too, but yeah. Why did they have to? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was a good. It was a good storyline and had you know great actors. When I saw Bruce Willis, I was like, "There's no way they got this bald head guy in here." No way. No way. <laughs> How? Like that's crazy. Like just even you know. Well, I don't want to get off. I don't want to get off subject because I was just thinking about like, how Brad Pitt like made a cameo in Deadpool too. <laughs> <laughs> the cameos, man, they always get you. <laughs> bro this is the most people laugh, laugh on any podcast i'm gonna have to go back and listen to some of our this bro, look man when they showed his face because i watched like an interview i know this officer from ocean's 11 but i watched his interview he was like yeah they he sent the send me a letter that i had anything to do like they paid me a coffee <laughs> <laughs> he's like i didn't even want anybody i was like just give me a cup of coffee like i'll be good he was like i was literally that's on all West Coffee for all five minutes yeah i was on set for five <laughs> minutes they did what they had to do and i left like i said that was the funniest thing ever but no yeah. i said that because brad Pitt's in is in the oceans 11 franchise so oh yeah trilogy yeah trilogy sorry yeah definitely well that wraps it up for um, for today. I, I have to go back to listen to some some of the early ones. Savon, this is this, I think this is the most we've we, we, we've laughed on on uh, any movie review we've ever done. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Lindsay Burns. I'm my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you next week. <laughs>